0: The story is told about a little boy who was flying a kite. It was a windy day, and the kite kite kept going higher and higher. It got so high that it was out of sight. A man passed by and saw the little boy holding the string. The man could not see the kite, and he asked the boy, How do you even know you have a kite up there? The boy replied, because I can feel it. Now, although we cannot see the Holy Spirit, we should be able to sense his work in our lives, changing us into the image of Christ. A couple ways he does this is by teaching us about love and truth. So this morning's passages will show us the importance, the important role God's spirit has in how we love one another and how he helps us recognize what's true and what's false. So before we get into the word, let's pray. Lord God, thank you again for this um, morning that you've given us. And again, as we sit before you in your throne, in, in your presence, we ask that you speak to us right now through your word. We ask that these words that we're about to read, that they become they come alive and they become as real food to our souls. The world has so many ways, so many things to deceive us, and it's through your Spirit alone that we're able to sift all, through all of that and see what is true and what's not. So I ask again this morning that you speak to us through, these, through the passages we're about to read, Lord. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord. Soften our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter 3 and we're going to begin in verse 16. Once again, First John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods, if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love remain or reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. Even if our conscience Condemns us that God is greater than our conscience and He knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep, we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. Now, this is His command that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Well, after reading this, I I saw another story that I wanted, a quick story I wanted to, to share with you that I read about Mother Teresa. How Mother Teresa exemplified love in action. One night, a man came to our house and told me, there's a family with eight children. They have not eaten for days. I took some food and went. When I finally came to the family, I saw the faces of those little children disfigured by hunger. There was no sorrow or sadness in their faces, just the deep pain of hunger. I gave the rice to the mother. She divided it in two and went out, carrying half the rice with her. When she came back, I asked her, where did you go? She gave me the simple answer. To my neighbors, they are hungry also. I was not surprised that she gave because poor people are generous. But I was surprised that she knew they were hungry. As a rule when we are suffering we are so focused on ourselves we have no time for others in verses 16 through 24 John points out the practical aspects of loving each other through actions now he does this first by telling his readers how genuine love became apparent to them all he speaking of Jesus, laid down his life for us. Prior to his death on the cross, Jesus said this in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He proved it not too long after that as he hung there on a wooden cross. Here's what Paul said in First Thessalonians 5.10. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. See, when Jesus Christ died for us, he exemplified the sort of love which expands itself in the interest of others. It is this kind of sacrificial love that John says that we as Christians ought to imitate. So as Christ loved us, loved us and laid down his life for us, so we must do for one another. When Jesus was with his disciples at the final supper, before his death, he said to them, this is my command. He said, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone will lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, I want you to keep in mind that John isn't necessarily speaking here of the extreme kind of sacrificial giving involving a believer dying for another believer. There may come a time when that may actually occur, but he's not saying, hey, go out there and you know, purposely take a bullet for another, for another believer. You know, he's not, ta- he's not necessarily talking about that here. As you will see, he's speaking of something far more simple and far more practical. Here's how the New Living Translation puts verse 17. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? You see, God isn't asking us believers, you and me necessarily, to be martyrs. He simply wants us to help a brother or sister who's in need. This was the concept of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. It could be easier for a believer to speak loudly against Christian injustice Or in defense of the faith but it's much harder to quietly help another believer in need Warren Wiersbe said this a man does not have to murder in order to sin hatred is murder in his heart but a man need not even hate his brother to be guilty of sin all he has to do is ignore him or be indifferent towards his needs. If you're a believer with a financial and material needs to help another believer, then it's better to help than to know that that brother or sister is, is suffering and not do anything. And if, And if and when you do give, here are three important conditions to personally consider first condition to personally consider do you have the means to meet the need in other words don't go beyond what you're able to give or help and here's an example simple example if someone is asking you for brother or sister in need is asking you for ten dollars and all you have is five dollars then you don't have the means to meet the need simple as that. The second condition to personally consider. Are you aware that there's a need? Again, in other words, do you do what you can to understand what is what a person's actual needs are? You shouldn't assume that just because someone looks unkempt or skinny, that they have no food or money or clothes to buy things, to get things. Funny story, personal story, my 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 dad, people used to think that he was a homeless man. He would walk around the streets, you know, just cruising, just walking, and his clothes were all, you know, he was never the kind of guy that would get nice clothes and all that, But and his hair was sometimes crazy with the beard, and People would think that he was homeless, but he wasn't. I mean, he had a wad of cash in his wallet during his younger years, and he had a home, he had food, but it's just, again, people assume that he had a need or he had that specific need when that wasn't necessarily the case. So again, find out, find out, be aware uh, that there's a need. And the third condition, to ask yourselves, am I giving and sharing with love? Let genuine love to the person in need be the sole reason for giving. Second Corinthians 9.7 says, each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, if you don't have the financial or material needs, if you're like, you know, I don't have money, I don't have a job, I don't have, you know, I don't have stuff just to give out. If you don't have anything to give and share, or maybe you're unaware that, that someone has a need, Don't worry about it. God won't hold it against you. However, don't let poverty or lack of material resources keep you from helping those in need. There are other ways that you can help. There are other ways that you can give. You can give of your time. You can give of your energy. You know how many children out there that don't have... Father figures? You know how many children are out there that are home all day because either they're sick or they're just they are scared or there's something something and and there's isn't anybody out there to spend time with them. You know one thing about I love about our community centers again it's it's that kids are able to go there as an alternative than hanging out in the streets and joining gangs. And doing crazy stuff, you know. But are we as Christians? And I'm I'm just using kids as an example. But there are other things you can do. If your heart is for the elderly, then give your time and energy to 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 the elderly. If it's, you know, to to the homeless, then help the homeless. But don't think, oh, I don't have money to give them, or I don't have stuff to give them. Give of your time. Give of your energy. See, those of you who want to experience and enjoy the love of God in your own hearts, you must love others even to the point of sacrifice. So then John says in verse 18, little, little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is John's way of tenderly telling us that true loving actions speak louder than words. A good verse that speaks of true loving action is found in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. There it says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, you don't give them what their body needs, what good is it? Sacrificial giving. It's giving, it's loving your brother and sister. Now, as he continues in verses 19 through 22, John tells us about the assurance believers receive when we love one another and when we remain in the fellowship of God's love. He begins by saying, love expressed in action, especially in action that demonstrates love for other Christians, will assure our hearts of being saved. This assurance of our salvation ought to then remove any doubts we may have about God, how God sees us, how God will see us on the day that we stand before him. Now, yes, there may be time, times in our, in our life that will cause us to have an overly sensitive conscience. And what it speaks about here when it talks about conscience, it's, it's, it's also speaking of the heart. But there may be times in life where we may have this overly sensitive conscience that might lead us to thoughts of self-condemnation. Oh, I'm not good enough. I haven't, you know, I, I've done this. I'm not doing enough of this. And and I feel horrible and God doesn't love me and care about me and you know this is what this, this, this verse is speaking of John tells us that our assurance is twofold first God already knows everything about you and loves you he cares for you he desires you Second, God knows all things and knows who we truly are in Jesus Christ. If we are born again, then the real self is the one created in the image of Jesus Christ. This is, so, it's, this is why it's so important that you know and understand the truth about your relationship with God. If you don't understand the truth. If you don't know the truth about your salvation, if you don't have that assurance, then you will likely base your relationship with him purely in how you feel in his presence. You see there are times that maybe you feel when you're when you're worshiping him, when you're reading his word, when you're praying, and you're like, oh, God doesn't love me. I've screwed up my relationship with him. And it's those thoughts again of self-condemnation. I'll never be right with God. But when you know the truth, when you know the truth about how he sees you and that he sees you as innocent, that you've covered, that you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. will give you that ought to give you an assurance that you know what. I'm not going to allow these thoughts of self-condemnation bring me down and keep me down. If you've messed up, all he wants is just recognize it, repent of that sin, and just get back up and, and keep walking with him. He doesn't want you to stay down. He wants you just to keep walking with him. Keep loving him. keep sh- that, Allow that light that is burning inside of you to just shine brightly through you out of you can understand and know that relationship you have with him see God is greater in pronouncing a more authoritative verdict on our salvation than our heart words, again a conscience which is fallible and often errors the truth is Remember this, God knows all things more about who you are than your heart ever could. He knows more about you than your heart. Don't let your heart deceive you. Our heart will deceive us. But again, God knows who, what what's, who you are, what's in your heart. John then explains in verse 22, when we remain in the fellowship of God's love, there is an assurance that He will answer our prayers. Not because a believer's love and obedience has earned them what they've asked. Rather, God answers their prayers. God answers the prayers of an obedient believer because of the love that comes from being in the fel- in fellowship with Him. So as you walk in love and obedience, you can confidently approach God in prayer, knowing that God will hear and grant them if it's according to His will. When you're in a right relationship with God, and you and Him are just in that fellowship, you can... You can go to God and, and, and say, you know what, Lord, hear my prayer and, and answer them. And, and that fellowship, that love He has for you, if it's His will, if it's part of His purpose for you, He will grant you, He will listen to you, and He will answer those prayers. Now, the reason we as believers are able to confidently come before God in prayer is because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now here's an example. And I, be- I, I think, I believe that all my kids know that as long as they do what me or my wife ask of them, they can confidently come to us and ask us for stuff. And if we're able to, we'll gladly give them what they, what they ask for now on the other hand they also already know that when they are disobedient or ungrateful their requests will not be met until there is a change of attitude this same concept applies to our relationship with God genuine love and honest obedience obedience is a condition of answered prayer The idea of keeping God's commandments, in verse 22, led John to specifically speak about what Jesus' commandment is, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The fundamental command to human beings, to all human beings, is to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself mentioned it in John 6, 29. This is the only work God wants from you. This is the only work God wants from you, he says. Believe in the one he has sent. So, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ involves total commitment and obedience to him. This commitment and obedience always involves doing what He commanded, to love one another. You see, there can be no obedience of God's commands if there's no love for one another. There can be no love for one another if people close their hearts to those in need. And there can be no confidence when approaching God in prayer When people close their hearts to fellow believers in need. In verse 24, John summarizes everything that he's been saying since verse 11. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. John's point is this those who believe in god's son and love one another as he commanded them are those who truly live in god and god in them willingly complying to his commands is evidence that you abide in a relationship with god willingly willingly complying with his commands. Not feeling like you're forced because if you don't he's gonna you know if you don't follow his commands lightning's gonna strike you. No, it's a willing obedience a willing compliance. John also explains the evidence that Jesus abides in a relationship with the believer comes by the Spirit who is living and working in a believer's life. This evidence, this evidence that that the Holy Spirit is living and working in a believer's life consists in in this. The Spirit's empowering you to practice righteousness. And he mentioned that in in chapter 2, verse 29. The Spirit empowering you to practice righteousness. Righteousness. The Spirit persuading you to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, as he mentioned in verse 23. The Spirit encouraging you to keep his commandments, as he said in this verse, in verse 24. And the Spirit leading you to love the brethren, as he mentioned in verse Chapter 3, verse 14, or verse 14 in this chapter. Paul also makes it a point to tell us in Romans 8 9 that anyone who belongs to Jesus has the Spirit in him. Listen to, listen to this the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what gives you the assurance that a fellowship exists between you and God. It's that fellowship, it's that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit in you that's giving you that assurance that you and Him are in a relationship, that you and Him are in fellowship. If that Holy Spirit isn't in you, you're not going to have that assurance. However, it does take spiritual discernment to know what comes from God and what doesn't and this is what John deals with in the very next verse so follow along as I move on to chapter 4 and I read that first the first six verses of chapter 4 1st John chapter 4 verse 1 he says dear friends do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come into flesh is from God. This is a spirit of... I'm sorry, but if every... Verse 3, but every spirit who does not confess Jesus is not from God this is the spirit of the antichrist you have heard what he is you have heard that he is coming and he is already in the world now you are from God little children and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world they are from the world therefore what they say Is from the world and the world listens to them we are from God anyone who knows God listens to us anyone who is not from God does not listen to us from this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception John back in his day was dealing with many of the same problems the church is facing today regarding false teachers. Just like in his day, there are so many false teachers out there. And that, and even here in our city, in the city of El Paso, there are a lot of false teachers that are f- teaching false things about Jesus. Now, I'm not one to go out and and call people out by names. But what John wants to do here is to show you how you can discern, how you can know what's a false teacher from a true teacher, what's true and what's false. You see, John's fatherly heart of protection for his readers is seen in this in these six verses as he speaks to them about the spirit of truth which will keep them from false spirits and those who claim to speak for God he first says dear friends do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to determine if they are from God we know that the Bible is clear. There shouldn't be, there shouldn't be any doubt you know, from us Christians that there are evil spirits out there. There are evil spirits outside our physical dimension that are in this world who oppose God and have one objective, to divide and destroy people by keeping them from knowing and having a relationship with God. And we see, we've been seeing that on our television sets, on our computer monitors, on our phones. The work of the devil, of the enemy, these just false teachers out there. Evil spirits, again, trying to divide and destroy people. And trying to divide and destroy even Christians within the church. These spiritual forces are who believers are battling against every single day, every single moment? Paul writes in Ephesians 6:12, "For our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against people, against you know, angry people with petty things, and you know, it's not them, but against rulers, against authorities." against the world powers of darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So because John knows that these evils, how these evil spirits operate, he urges them not to believe everyone who claims to speak by God's spirit. You see, the truth is that not everyone claiming to speak for God does so. For this reason, he tells his readers to evaluate what people say and do to see if they are from God. This is the responsibility of every Christian, but especially for the church leaders. As the lead pastor of this church, the responsibility of this is enormous. But it's what God has is, God is called me to do, to be an under shepherd to his, to his people. And I take that responsibility serious, and I take that responsibility greatly. I mean, it, 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 I don't take it lightly myself, and anyone else who is chosen by God to be in leadership here. To be in leadership here and, and, in, in, and in the years to come with Fresh Vision Church, we will faithfully serve and protect those that are here with the abilities and the gifts that he's given us. Testing the spirits is important, John says, because there are many false prophets that have gone out into this world. These false prophets seek to lead people away from the truth and deceive those who are in it. In verses 2 and 3, John provides a test that believers can use to distinguish those who are from God and those who are not. Those who are from God will confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh but someone who doesn't acknowledge the truth about Jesus is not from God. In John's day, there was a debate about if Jesus had truly come in the real body, as flesh and blood. They, they thought he was just a spirit. They didn't think he was a real human being. I, I think it was the belief. It was a Gnostic belief, and um, I think. Later on, it was called docetism. But today, there are certain groups, like the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons, who deny that Jesus is really God. You may know of people who don't deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, but don't believe He is God, as the Bible teaches, He is God. Well, the fact of the matter is that those who are saying this are not presenting a true Jesus. They're not presenting a true Jesus, They're not presenting a Jesus that we read about here in the Bible. The principle of presenting a true Jesus is essential to the testing of the spirits. No one who presents a false Jesus or an untrue or untrue to the scriptures or one untrue to the scriptures can be regarded as a true prophet. To deny the true Jesus is the basis of the spirit of the Antichrist, which John already mentioned in chapter 2, verse 18 and 23, 18 to 23. It is this spirit with, which both opposes the true Jesus and offers a substitute Jesus. This spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And guess what? One day, he will actually manifest himself into an actual person who most people know as the, as the Antichrist, as the big A Antichrist. So whenever you're watching a preacher on TV, or, in any ch- or you're in any church, listen carefully. Pay attention, listen carefully to see if they're preaching a true Jesus of the Bible. Listen to see if he, if he or she truly believes and confesses the words Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.16. He, speaking again of Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, Seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. If not, if they're not preaching a biblical Jesus, stay away. Stay away as, as from them as, as much as possible, as far away as possible. Now, in the face of the threat posed by the spirit of the Antichrist, John encourages his readers by reminding them that their confession of Jesus shows that they are from God. Those who are truly from God, those who are truly His, are genuine, born-again Christians. John tells them that they've conquered over these false prophets by refusing to believe the lies and deceptions about the truth of Jesus Christ. Not because they figured it out. Not because they just, one day they woke up and were like, bam, okay, I, I figured out you know, that they're liars. But because the Holy Spirit that's in them, who, the Holy Spirit who is in them, is greater than Satan who is in the world. If this verse isn't in your Rolodex of memory verses, I recommend you put it there. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know why? Because when you get attacked by the world, when you get attacked in all kinds of different directions, whether it's in your work, whether at work or at school. Remembering this verse will help you get through those attacks. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember that. Don't ever forget that. Even as the world gets worse and worse and worse and, you know, and, and Christians are attacked, and remember that. He who is in you, the Holy Spirit who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. After assuring them of their victory and telling them why they're victorious, John returns to what what distinguishes those who are in the world and those who are of God. A distinguishing mark of those who are in the world is the way they talk. Next time you're having a conversation with someone, also just pay attention to what they say and how they say it and you can even do this by looking at what they post on social media I found that most people usually talk about these three things and I'm not talking about uh, topics I'm just what they typically talk about it's either talk about themselves and their accomplishments money or material possessions and or other people. And it's not just what they say, but how they say it. If you pay attention to how they speak about these things, they will tell you a lot. It will tell you a lot about about where their heart is. A wise person once told me, the eyes are a one-way highway into the heart, and one's words is the highway from it. Now, this is similar, this is similar to what Jesus said in Luke 6:45. A good man produces good out of the storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the storeroom, out of, out of the evil storeroom, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. The other distinguishing mark of those who are in the world. Is that the world listens to them? You see, those who speak like the world will be heard and understood by those who are in the world. Let me repeat that. You see, those who walk, those who speak like the world, will be heard and understood by those who are in the world. You see, they face none of the rejection the child of God will face from the world because they are friends with the world. John then shares in verse six, three marks that distinguish believers from non-believers. The first distinguishing mark is that we are from God. Believers are from God. That's the first distinguishing mark. Being born-again believers means He is in us and we are in Him. The second He mentions, the second distinguishing marker He mentions is anyone who knows God listens to us. And this is, again, a problem that we see in this world today. You know, we argue and we fight and we, you know, with these people and we, they don't understand what, what we're saying because they didn't, they're not of God. They're of this world and they don't hear what we're saying. But believers, when they're speaking with other believers, hear us because the same spirit is in th- that's in them is the same one that's in us. 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual things to spiritual people and the third mark is seen by the world's inability to understand believers and I mentioned this already but they don't understand us because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them so when you're arguing and fighting with someone keep that in mind <laughs> they, they don't have they don't they can't hear us they can't understand us because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They're lacking that. And so that's why there's a big commu- miscommunication there. So you have to, I'm not saying stay away from them, you know but you have to be able to, to know and learn how to be able to speak to them so that they do understand. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but people who are who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It sounds foolish to them because they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. The difference between those who are of God and those who are not are clear. It's clear and obvious understanding these differences is how we will know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception now we mustn't make the mistake and this is what I see it also happen a lot of being too quick to judge others that's why I think it's so important that we let go of our hang-ups And just go out and talk to people. Go out and meet people. Go out and just know what's going on. The only way you're going to know if someone is truly a brother or sister in Christ or if someone is in the world is by talking to them, knowing what's in their heart, listening to what they're saying. We can't. we, We shouldn't as Christians just sit in the corner and just be afraid to talk to people. God hasn't, hasn't given us a spirit of fear. It, it, actually, it says that in, Paul says that in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. We should go out there and know, and again, meet people, talk to people. You see, we will never know what the Lord wants to do for you You will never know, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. You will never know what the Lord wants to do for you or through you if you don't talk to the people that it brings in your path. How will you know? How will you know that maybe God wants to use that person to speak to you? Or maybe you have a word for that person. Maybe God wants to use you to speak to that person that to lead that person to Christ that their family has been praying for for 20, 30 years. Maybe God wants to use you. So again, we have to let go of those hangouts. We have to let go of thinking, oh, you know what, I'm not good enough. I'm too shy. Uh, you know, I'm just not smart. No, He wants to use you. And as I conclude here, if, if you're a true believer this morning, Remember, living within you is God's spirit of love and truth. It's a spirit which shows us how to love one another and helps us to recognize what is true and what is false. Keep that in mind. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, there may be some of you watching or listening who may not be believers, that may not know Jesus Christ and don't have the Holy Spirit inside you. If this is you and you desire God's Spirit to come and make His home in you, all you have to do is open the doors of your heart to Jesus Christ. He stands at the door. And knocks. Will you let him in? If you allow him to come into your, into your life. If you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will make his home in you. And he will give you what you need. He will sustain you. He will fill you. He will love you. He will give you all those things that you've been so desperately searching for all your life for, or for so many years that drugs wouldn't, wasn't able to fill, that sex wasn't able to fill. But all these things from the world weren't able to fill. He's, uh, he's, he, he can give you those things. He will give you what you need but you have to allow them to come into your heart. And if you've never done that, we're about to end in prayer and I will lead you in a prayer to do that. So, let's, everybody here close, you know, mind, close your eyes and bow your heads as we pray. Lord God, I can't thank you enough. for showing us the truth. For giving us your Spirit who now lives in us, dwells in us, and is able to open our eyes to the truth. Lord, we want to abide in that truth every single moment, every single day. And if you've never had or if if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to be filled by the Spirit and you want to live a life for Him with a sincere heart wherever you're at just pray this Lord God forgive me of my sins I know that I've fallen short and that nothing I will ever do will be enough but your son, I believe your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins. He paid the sacrifice. He paid the price that I couldn't. I lay my sins before him. And I accept a forgiveness. I accept your forgiveness. Lord, fill me now with your Holy Spirit so that I may walk in your ways the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.